is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back, Geek Gab, for Saturday, March 14th, 2020. We've got some deep, 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 dark and serious things to discuss today. But before we do... I want to uh, welcome everybody to Pi Day Saturday, 3.14, it's the 14th of March, therefore it is Pi Day, and I hear by international law, you are required to have pie of some kind today. Now, there are some degenerates out there who have cake. Now, I'm not going to say anything about those irredeemable scumbags because I am a kind and wonderful human being. But if you wish to uphold the long and storied tradition of Pi Day. Today is the day to have pie. Not custard. Not uh, pudding. Not ice cream. Not Oreos. Not candy bars. Not chocolates. Just pie. What do you think, Dornall? Hey, man. I just want to point out that you listed a great deal of delicious desserts and I don't want to, I don't want you to lead anybody astray. I think savory pies qualify too. In fact, I'm going to try and find some chicken pot pie later today. That is if I can get out of the Kirkland, Washington quarantine zone. <laughs> oh man. This is so the division. I'm just glad I played the division for a while there when it was free for me to play. So so I was prepared. I prepared myself mentally for, for this exact situation. They, uh, yeah, New York City now has a quarantine zone they're enforcing with the National Guard. So I'm like, oh, it is the division. <laughs> so you're in the quarantine zone. Well, no, we haven't been quarantined, but the governor's basically shut everything down. And any any small, medium, large gatherings, uh, even even all the churches. I, I heard that the the Archdiocese of Seattle has canceled mass, basically, for everybody. Um, I am in the great state of Utah. Excuse me. I'm in the pretty, comma, great state of Utah. Um, yeah. And uh, they're on Monday. They're shutting down all the schools for two weeks. Um, they're going to do distance learning. Um, and I, I, I got to interrupt you there. What is the deal with distance learning? You I mean, we're, we're we're adults. We've been through school. We know that there's actually no point to school. Why not just cancel it? Why why make the kids try to? work online. Can you answer that for me? Uh, distance learning is like YouTube, but I was going to say more boring, but I don't know that that's possible. 
Educational YouTube. Got it. Educational YouTube. That's what distance learning is. So, um, and then uh, the uh, Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, the uh, LDS Church, my church, is also shutting down um, church meetings for um, several weeks. And our semi-annual general, general conference where uh, in our uh, new conference center here in Salt Lake City, it can seat like 25, 50,000 people. Oh, yeah, that's a big event. I remember that. Um, it's only going to be – it's broadcast only. Um, they're not going to be allowing the crowd to come in. Um, so, yeah, they're doing the same thing. Well, so I guess I'm in a quarantine zone as well. It, it's awesome because, you know, they're, they're telling people, okay, we have turned off all sports because the NHL, NBA, uh, baseball, all of these, have, have, they've shut down. They're not having them. Or if they are having them, they're not going to have audiences. Uh, they're telling yeah. people, stay at home, don't talk to other people, uh, and live at home, and everybody's screaming about how big of an inconvenience is. Meanwhile, gamers are warming up hot pockets in the microwaves, wondering what the change was. They won't hear about it for another three weeks, and they'll wonder what happened. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't see any any kind of uh, disturbance to their regular lives. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, and it's happening for real. Bradford Walker in the chat, yeah. Twitch apparently has is hitting setting records, having a banner month of uh, simultaneous users. Twitch, what about the world's premier game streaming service? Pause for effect. Mixer. Who? Mixer. That's Microsoft's gaming service. Oh, that you can stream to. That Ninja went to. Really. This is news to me. You must not watch the same uh, gamer news things on YouTube. I do. Hey, I, I, I gotta, I gotta level with you. I stay away from gamer news as often as possible. Um, but I did before we get to our guest, the person formerly known as John Mollison, broadcasting live from beyond the grave. Rest in so peace. Before that, I've got some news. Oh, yeah? Hollywood, who makes movies and TV shows, supposedly, they're set to take up to $20 billion loss from coronavirus impact, from the coronavirus loss. Uh, impacting shutting down theaters and also actually shutting down production on movies and TV shows uh, because they're quarantining cast and crew. Oh, and telling them, don't come to work. We don't want you spreading the disease around. And they're, they've pushed out release dates for all the movies that were going to come out in the next month or two. Yeah, like, uh, what is it? No Time to Write a Decent Script, the latest James Bond movie. <laughs> was was gonna come out in the next couple of weeks and it's been postponed to november 
I mean, they bumped that way out. Um, but yeah, $20 billion of revenues that they were projecting to make, uh, they're not going to be making. It's it's going to be a... Those books are bathed in red. I've been researching vampires for the last two weeks, and uh, all the pictures I've seen are bloody, bloody, bloody. There is not enough blood to make up for all the red on those Hollywood uh, accounting books right now. <laughs> well, so it's, it's just like schools and a lot of other things. I think after a month without, everybody's going to realize how, how little we actually needed some of that stuff. There are three movies out right now that I was kind of interested in going and seeing, but I've decided I'm okay with not seeing them, not because uh, I'm scared of the coronavirus, but because I, uh, I, 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 I'm still caltropped and I don't want to go. Yeah. Counter-argument, counter apparently uh, Japan reports that anime production is unaffected, so I guess not everything is going to be good coming out. Well, let's hope. Uh, let's hope. <laughs> let's hope they make good stuff. Actually, I'm no longer hoping they make good stuff. I'm uh, I'm down to watching old stuff. <laughs> just uh, just in case. In fact, uh, I watched a movie the other night called uh, "The Brides of Dracula." It was made in 1960 um, with Peter Cushing. It's an old Hammer horror vampire movie. If you couldn't tell by the name, The Brides of Dracula, it's a vampire movie. Um, the greatest thing about this vampire movie, though, are you ready to grab your chair and shock? Mm. It's a sequel to, a, to Dracula, where Peter Cushing plays, you know, Van Helsing. Okay. And he kills Dracula. So they start off the movie by saying, Dracula is dead. They don't say it in that accent. I just, I don't know why it just came out. Uh, they have this deep stentorian voice saying Dracula is dead. And you're thinking, oh, Dracula's three brides, like his three women who are part of the original story and show up in the movies. Uh, they even show up in the Van Helsing movie, the steampunkish thing. Uh so you're thinking this is going to be about his three brides trying to get revenge on Van Helsing or doing whatever. Well, this is the shocking twist about the movie. The brides of Dracula aren't in the movie. <clears throat> Dracula isn't in the movie. Well, he's dead. The movie isn't about Dracula. No. It isn't about vampires connected with Dracula. It isn't about vampires that were created by Dracula. The movie, The Brides of Dracula, has nothing to do with Dracula. I don't get it. Well, this is before the internet, so you could afford to get away with completely fraudulent titles. I mean, there is a vampire, and he is a baron. And he lives in a castle above a small Transylvanian village. But it isn't Dracula. It has nothing to do with Dracula. It's just kind of a cool vampire story. They just gave it that title so they could take a movie that had nothing to do with Dracula and make it a sequel to Dracula. 
this actually happens a lot. Uh, people in Europe would name movies after like Night of the Living Dead or, or whatever to try and make it seem like their movie was a sequel to some American movie or, or some other really popular film so they could get the audience to come in. So this just happens to be a really early example of it. It was a good movie, though. I enjoyed it. All right. I, I'm not going to get anywhere near it. Now that I know that they're lying to me. They are lying to you. I've lying to you. But let's bring a truth teller on the show. Hey. Welcome back to the show. Most recently, formerly deceased John Mollison. Hey, yes. thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Before we go any further, let me just apologize for the sound of my voice. Um, technology is failing me. I have a deep voice naturally. It's not this deep. I cannot, for the life of me, figure out why my recording software thinks that I need to sound like Darth Vader. So we'll just run with it. Well, you do vi voice work, right? So have have you recently been doing voice work for romance novels or something like that? Is maybe maybe your voice software is inferring your needs right now no it's it's and when i do it's all natural voice i don't i tend to not apply any effects uh at all although having said that uh, i'm currently in the process of recording um uh, a declan finn book in which literal demons speak and when they speak they speak backwards you know the old classic rock and roll record played backwards so what i do is i I record the line forwards and then I play it back in reverse so that I can learn how to say it in reverse so that when I record it in reverse and then play it forwards, it sounds like somebody talking forwards in reverse. Does that make sense? I can tell John just got lost somewhere. <laughs> I've gone cross-eyed. <laughs> you, you learn how to say it yeah. backwards. You learn how to say it backwards. And then, so in the audiobook. When when the listener hears you speak, they're hearing you speak it backwards, but you've you've played it forwards. Uh, no, yes, that's that's correct. That's great. I'm basically teaching myself how to speak backwards, so that if somebody decides to play the recording backwards, they can figure out what the guy said. Now, Deck Finn is a great writer, and so you'll be able to infer from the context what that backwards speaking was, uh, but. The answer to your question is yes. Sometimes I apply effects. That's the only time I can think of that I've ever done that, though. Usually, it's just me doing funny voices. Uh, well, it's it's working for the geek gab because uh, I don't have a particularly deep voice, so you've you've added the necessary balance to the show. Can, <laughs> can I just ask one question? Of course. Did uh, did Greg Dean did he get justice? Well. I don't know that. So let's back up a step. Let's let's fill in the gaps for those who who need to be brought up to speed. Um, the Hawaii Five O. You may have heard of it. It's a network television show, and I was on last night's episode. It just broadcast last night, in which I played a character named Greg Dean. And spoilers: he meets an untimely demise. The question is: do, Does he deserve it? And I think the answer to that is probably no. He wasn't a good guy, but I don't know that he deserved a death sentence. Ooh, the mystery unravels. That's really so, cool. 
So, I mean, how deep into spoilers do we want to get on this? No, I'm just wondering, you know, we hardly knew him. He showed up, he was dead already, and I just feel bad for the guy. You should. You should. The the it, it, If you've seen the episode, you'll understand that what you see happen to Greg Dean is not what really happened. And we actually filmed what really happened as well, but it just didn't make the final cut. Oh. Cool. So anyways, uh, the, the show is available to stream for free, right? Correct. Right now, uh, for like the next three, four weeks. So, uh, you can, uh, you can check out the episode that John Mollison is in. Well, two things. If you have CBS all access, you can go back and watch all 10 years of the current run of Hawaii Five-O. And the, the previous 12 years with Jack Lord, those are always available. But if you don't have that, and you didn't watch it on Terrestrial, you can go on cbs.com and they stream all of their episodes for about a month after they air. So you can go back and get caught up on the last two or three episodes if you need to. Which you may want to, because bear in mind, I, I was very fortunate. They killed me off once in season three. And we talked about that last time I was on the Geek Gab. And this is the penultimate show. The next show is a two-part series finale. Wow. Oh, wow. So they had to get you in right there before the end. Yeah, and make no mistake about it. I mean, 10 years is a solid run on network television. And the numbers were great. The uh, The numbers hadn't fallen off over the last over the last eight years. The only problem they ran into is that the, the lead, Steve McGarrett, the guy that plays him is named Alex McLaughlin. He's just getting too old for it. He said, look, you know, I do a lot of my own stunts. I have thrown my back out so many times. I had to have shoulder surgery because, you know, of a stunt gone wrong. I just can't handle the abuse anymore. And, you know, these guys are running 12 to 16 hour days for eight months out of the year. It is a, it is a long and hard road, particularly in an action heavy show like this. So I think he's looking forward to just kind of taking semi-retirement, and maybe moving behind the camera. Oh yeah, for sure. That that's the kind of punishment that uh, that an NFL linebacker might see. Sure. M- maybe not as much, but I mean, I I respect that. Now that's an interesting story. Uh, the the whole thing is interesting to me, just because uh, I've, like I said before the show, I I pulled up your credits on IMDb for the episode, and and I see your your credit for the season three. <laughs> untimely demise but um and but i forget how did you get involved in the show and and working on it well i was a drama geek in high school and when i got out i had always been interested in done voiceover work and i actually took my daughter down to an agent to do some modeling work they had an open call and while we were chatting the the gal that was was auditioning the kids say hey you've done this before haven't you and i said yeah yeah you know i do i do mainly audio work and she said oh we do audio work why don't you come down and so i came down to the reading for them and they said all right we're going to take your picture we're going to introduce you for all kinds of things hawaii is a state much like atlanta that has run tax incentives so that the Hollywood producers can escape the effects of the policies that their politicians have implemented on their behalf. They have a lot of tax incentives, so you see a lot of filming, and it has a a, a small but very experienced and well-put-together film industry. So e- even now, Magnum P.I. continues to film there. They filmed, I think this is the first 
to they're, they're filming the third in the Jurassic World series of events. And I don't, and I think most of that's being filmed in the Pacific North, Northwest, but they may come out from the jungles once in a while. Oh, cool. So often, I mean, at this point I'm still non-union, which means, you know, I, I don't, this is not to get too deep into the weeds, but, but it, once you have, you get to do one line on network television. And after that one line, if you do another one, you have to join the union. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once you join the union, you can't do any of the more local commercials, which I do some of those. Um, you know, I, I did a, a film about the uh, Japanese internment camps for, for the local Japanese American Historical Society. Uh, once you join the union, you can't do that. So I, I've been fortunate that the, the previous couple of credits I have, well, actually, they, they, they give you a 30-day trial period. They say, look, if you can land another speaking role within 30 days, you don't have to join the union. So I was fortunate that my first two roles, and in fact, the casting company, I think they kind of like me because they said, you know what, we're going to give you another one this month so we don't have to deal with it. Well, that was seven years ago. And then a couple of years after that, the two unions, uh, SAG and AFTRA, joined and they did a hard reset. So I got to do another one. I get paid union and I still don't have to join it. So cool. it's worked out really well for me. They, uh, it, it, it's a good, it's a good crew. And, you know, people look kind of, and, and even daddy earlier in the, in the show, he was making reference to the difficulties that Hollywood has in, in appealing to a, a widespread audience. And I share those opinions, of course, but locally, at least, um, you know, they run a tight ship. They do a good job and people tend to take care of each other. E- even a poser like me. <laughs> well, that's really fascinating. I, I I know I've said that already, but uh, the way you speak of the local producers and the, the local scene, uh, that's something that I think I and a lot of people don't really see or understand. So can you tell me a little bit more about what it's like to work with local producers uh, doing local, you know, commercials and, and, other voice work, that sort of thing. Cause that's really interesting to me. Sure. So I, most of the work that I find, in fact, probably about 98% of it comes through an agent, same as anyone else, right? You go down, you get your headshot and they're the ones that have their fingers on the pulse. They're the, the hiring agency that the, the casting companies come to and say, okay, look, I need a, I need a, a Midwestern looking white guy that can, uh, get shot protecting his wife from muggers. And, um, but, but both union and non-union union do that. It will go to both union productions and non-union will go to the same casting company and say, who do you got? And you go down for audition, same as anywhere else. And, uh, you know, most local areas have a casting company or two. And to be honest with you, if you have any interest in the acting world, don't worry about what you look like. You know, Hollywood is all about a, a hyper-stylized version of reality. But... Bear in mind that whatever you look like, you could be hyper-stylized. In fact, there's an agency in Honolulu called Outlaw, and they specifically deal with, um, I'm going to try to put this delicately, unusual-looking people. So they typically deal with with the bad guys. If you Mm -hmm. need a biker gang, call these guys, right? These are the guys that cast the big fat guys with beards and tattoos all over the place. These are the ones that specialize in women that that, that look like they've been addicted to crack for 10 years. Mm -hmm. So if you have a look or, you know, in my case, they said, we need just an average looking Midwestern guy. We need a, you know, with, with a fairly friendly face, what do you got? So whatever you look like, you look like a role. Maybe you look like the perfect accountant. Regardless of what you do for a living, maybe you look like the perfect, you know, stay at home mom or the perfect, you know, snotty woman in the office. 
go ahead, go down. Say, look, here's what I look like. Let's get some headshots and let's do some auditions. That's cool. Is yeah, there I, any? Think about all of the faces that you know that you see in dozens of, of movies that are like, oh yeah, he's he's that guy, right? There's dozens of those guys. They like mm -hmm. corner the market on on the the janitor or the the, the general. Jesse Heineman. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Even yeah, even Hollywood does it. But those those actors, I I guess they call them character actors, where you're like. You forget his name, but you're like, that guy. He's doing that guy's thing again. Oh, I love that guy. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's really cool. If uh, Do you know if just about everywhere has those sorts of agencies and, and things? Like if, if you're interested locally, uh, where where would I go if any I were interested in that sort of, of thing? Over a, any city of over a million people will have them. And you just look up casting agencies. The trick is go find an agency that is not looking for money, right? They should, if, if they're telling you, yeah, come on down. We've got all kinds of classes and all kinds of things you can buy from us. Then call sure. the next agency because those guys make their money off of training classes. And what you're really looking for is someone that makes their money off of hiring people. These are based, these are just temp agencies that are hyper specialized into on camera talent. And any city of over a million people is going to have a couple of production companies. Uh, so you're in the Seattle area, right? Yeah. Who, who does, who does your electric power there? Is it PG and E? Yes. They run their own commercials, right? How many local mm -hmm. banks do you have that only serve the Washington area, right? Washington National Bank, the mm -hmm. commercials that they run, they're going to run through advertising agencies. And those advertising agencies, they'll contract with the talent companies. Uh-huh. Uh, and again, you know, and Seattle is a great place because you've got Vancouver just across the way. And there's a lot of filming done there. For, again, for for tax for tax break purposes, I believe the. Uh, let me think about this. Is the new MacGyver film there? I know the X Files was filmed. X Files there. famously was filmed in Vancouver. Just yeah, about and, everything's filmed there. Yeah. Yeah, and they kind of X Files kind of built that. I think. I think they built the Vancouver industry. Oh, the uh, they also had. There's a stable of Canadian actors that also came up at around the same time i'm not i'm not familiar with canadian tv to a great extent but there were a couple of shows that i watched one of them off the top of my head was da vinci's inquest and if you remember the Battlestar galactica reboot mm -hmm. both of those were canadian done and actually uh a lot of the characters a lot of the actors in the Battlestar galactica reboot were you know part of that canadian tv stable yeah, and like I think the Stargates were filmed in there, filmed there too. Yeah, yeah. Atlanta is another major metropolitan area. If you're in anywhere in that state, by all means, look up a casting company because they're always looking at. And and with these, with these markets as an actor, um, you one of the things to be aware of is for a long running TV show they are always looking for fresh faces and they're always looking for fresh faces for background work too. Now, you know, my IMDB only lists the three speaking roles that I've had, but I continue continually work at least two or three times a year. I take off work and I go do background. 
and it's a great way to go. And you're just moving scenery, right? They, 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 they hand you to a PA and say, and the PA will say, okay, uh, when I tap you on the shoulder, walk over to that tree and then wait 10 seconds and walk back to me. You don't really, you're not, you never see yourself. Um, you, you wind up just being kind of a blur in the background, the impression of a person, but that's fine because it's a great way to get experience on set where you see how the process works. And, and it is a very complicated setup where, you know, the one scene I did on, on Hawaii Five-O last night, I was on set for about eight hours, but there were about 80 people. And at the start of the day, they said, okay, safety moment. We're going to do our tailgate safety meeting. Same way I do at my day job, doing quality control for construction. Everybody gathers. They, okay, here's, we're going to be using guns today. We're not going to be using any rounds, no live fire, no blanks, no nothing. You know, they go through the whole process and you can see how they set the cameras up and, and how the director talks to the, the, the cinematographer and how he communicates to the cameraman and how they measure for this and how the sound guy comes in and how they, you know, there's a whole ballet. Whenever you want to organize more than three people, it gets exponentially more complicated. And particularly with a long-running show like Hawaii Five O, after the first half a season, it becomes a well-oiled machine where they barely have to talk to each other at all. They'll say, okay, turn it around. And everybody knows what they're doing. Everybody knows where they're going. They might have to say, okay, team A there, team B here, team C here. But I mean, it's, it's a fantastic thing. I, in fact, I'd recommend, and that's, I would recommend doing that if you're at all curious to see what it's like. Uh, look up your, look up whatever productions you have in the area and you send them an email with a headshot. It doesn't have to be a hundred dollar, you know, uh, you know, going down to the Sears or wherever. It can just be a, a picture you take with your phone, look it up, send them an email. So locally the, the Hawaii five O they have, I think it's like Hawaii five O casting at gmail.com is what it was. And you just send them your details. You send them how tall you are, how much you weigh, what your race is, eye hair, just describe yourself, you know, in basic terms with a headshot. They'll add you to their files and, you know, when, when they need a mountain man, they'll say, what about that daddy war pig guy? Let's pull him and send him to the, to the cast, to, to the casting company over at the production. And they'll send 50 of them over and the production will pick 10 and send them back. And then you get the call. Hey, are you available next week? Oh, that's really cool. And is that the same process you'd use to get that onset experience, like uh, helping with background or scenery or whatever yeah and it's it's easier to do that because they're always looking for new faces lost was notorious for saying can can we please have some more koreans come down we film a lot of scenes in korea and we don't you know we're seeing all the same faces over and over and over again oh yeah you know, yeah we, we had to use the dentist as as a cop and then again we had to use them a season later as something else and and these days people are so autistic and they watch shows with such a fine degree of detail that the production companies know if, if that doctor then becomes a cop, even in the background, people are going to start speculating. Think about all the characters in star Wars and Lord of the Rings that were like nothing characters that people just latched onto. Tell me, where is Gandalf for a much desire to speak with him? Everybody, you know, there are a thousand people that know his name and his pa parents name and, you know, if he had showed up and been stabbed as an orc, people would say, well, how did that elf become an orc? <laughs> Just because we live in, in the age of autism. So production companies know that and they don't want to deal with it. So they just want as many faces as they can get. And it may take a few months. It may take a year or two, but they'll get to you. Well, that's cool. That, that I'm definitely curious. I've got, I, particularly I've got family who are curious. Uh, and so I'm really fascinated by the whole how it all gets put together. That's really cool. 
the, the one caveat that I would add to that is, um, with kids, they're a little bit more reticent, particularly now in the days of, 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 of me too. And usually when they're casting for kids, they will go to well, either they'll use their own children where they're like, yeah, you know what? We, we don't want to have to deal with proctors and, you know, people and, and getting accused of things or all that. So they say, look, you know, we got a couple of cameramen here and a grip. Can you bring your kids down to the set for the day? And they get paid the same as usual. Or, you know, people that they've worked with a lot. Like I said, I see the casting company three, four, five times a year. So they know me and they'll, they'll put out a call specifically for, Hey, you know, if you've got some kids that are available, can you let us know? Or, you know, they're in the database. So it's probably, I, I wouldn't recommend doing that with your children. It's a much lower probability that you're going to get the hit, at least for background. But mm -hmm. for, for, for you or anybody that are college students, you know, highly recommend it for them too. Oh, that's, that's cool. That's fascinating. Um, well, that you have sated my curiosity for the moment, although I'm going to have to check out to see what's going on locally. So I wanted to ask, what else is new with you? What's uh, what's going on these days? Wait. Hmm? I have a question. Daddy Warpig has a question. I have a question. I know. Sure. Do I do this anymore? Sorry? I, I feel like I don't ask questions anymore. Like I just come out and do the opening and closing and like, <laughs> like you ask all the interesting questions and I just kind of nod along and occasionally make comments and like I'm lazy now. Is that No, you're you are you are not. It's just that you're so bombastic and forceful <laughs> that that if if you haven't jumped in with a question, I, I have assumed that you don't have any. Like like uh, he was saying, we're a well oiled machine at this rate. <laughs> And as as a as a big fan of Geek Gab and longtime listener, Daddy Warpig goes on long rants and then he stops and he says, What are your thoughts? <laughs> That's a Daddy Warpig question. <laughs> so I'm and, jumping in like Phoenix Wright here, okay? I love it. Objection. Objection. Um <laughs> no, but I, I want to ask about the age of autism, because I wanna I wanna that suddenly, that subject just suddenly grabbed my mind. I want to steer that to like writing. Because I'm wondering how that, um, how that same sense of detail in remembering detail and analyzing detail and fitting details together, how that affects uh, writers who are doing like really big projects. I mean, you know, you write a short story, it doesn't really matter. You don't have very much to keep track of. You write a novel, you've got a lot more to keep track of. It's, an, you know, maybe an order of magnitude more complex. But you start doing what, let's say, Declan Finn does, who's writing a multi-book series or, you know, heaven forfend, somebody be crazy enough to do like something like Brandon Sanderson does, which is not just a series, several series of fantasy trilogies, but which all link together in some overarching uh omni cosmology is he I'm, the guy that also plans information that he presents at conventions yeah he like lets okay. them leaks out or you know yeah. sometimes when people want to bring their books to sign to him he, uh he'll like draw a little drawing and then draw like a secret 
in their book that he never releases anyplace else. So I'm not like super aware of it, but I'm peripherally aware of the phenomenon. My question is, how do you think, uh, or have you had any experience directly, indirectly, you know, hearing about it of how that age of autism thing affects writers? I don't, you're, you're talking to the wrong guy. 90% of my output is standalone books. Most, all the, the advice guys will tell you, if you want to be a professional writer, you have to write big, long, epic series of 10 novels. And I don't have, I'm not autistic. I don't have the attention span for that. I tend to get bored. So I have a couple of trilogies that I've done. The, what you're talking about is how do you plan from day one to present information that has a payoff that you won't actually construct for two or three years? And I don't have an answer to that because I don't know how, how you do that. I make it up as I go along. I'm very much a pantser. I write from the seat of the pants. Um, every time I build a plan, I just wind up abandoning it because I discover new things through the writing process. Um, so the answer is, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not very autistic. I can tell you what my process is, is to, you know, make notes. If I have a setup, then I will hit enter a few times and I'll say, make sure you pay off this setup. And then occasionally when I, when I deliver some information, I think, oh, you know what? I need to set this up. And then I go back and find somewhere in the narrative that I've constructed to date to, to add a line or two or a paragraph or even a full chapter that sets up the payoff that just, that just came to me. How do you track all that stuff? I, you have to have a, well, <laughs> there's two ways. One is to have a definitive plan. Uh, the other way is to borrow from George R. R. Martin and just don't pay it off. <laughs> just don't care. Works for JJ Abrams, right? Can work for you too. Man, that's, that's saying a lot. How many, how many jobs has JJ Abrams got off of the lost mystery box model? And we're, we're all pretty tired of it, aren't we? People still fall for the three-card Monty. Find the lady, find the lady, find the lady. People still fall for it. He palmed the lady. There's no lady on the table. But be, there, there's something about that thrill that people still, they keep going back to the well. He has a better sense of style than he has a sense of creativity. This is his problem. Mm -hmm. He isn't creative enough to come up with answers for the... Uh, ideas he's throwing out. He's good enough to present questions in a way that is tantalizing, which is great. That's a great talent to have, but he's not creative enough uh, to come up with good answers to those questions. And you can't just be being creative like that. If you're going to stick a really, really bizarre question out there. It isn't just a matter of coming up with one good answer. You've got to keep on working at it. You come up with five or six and then pick the one that actually works in the story. You can't just do it once. And so he either isn't hardworking enough, and I kind of get that feeling from him that he's not diligent enough in his work. He's not a hard enough worker to actually put that time in in the script development phase. But uh, yeah, he uh, either doesn't work hard enough or isn't creative enough to come up with answers. And so he just throws the razzle-dazzle around. And I'm like, yeah, you know, the razzle-dazzle is fine. But sooner or later, you have to actually pay up. You have to actually uh, fulfill your promises. 
the, the eventually people will catch on to the game. Yeah. And you don't always have to fulfill it, but if you never do, people will realize there's, there's, there's no fulfilling it. And, and I, I honestly expected one of the reasons that I had such high, Oh boy, here we go. We're talking about star Wars. Oh, no. If you hire the right writer, I, there are dozens of ways to have had a better sequel to JJ Abrams, star Wars, but you have to hire a writer that respects the material and is interested in solving those. And unfortunately they didn't. I, I think the better example is, um, the, uh, Dr. Strange for Benedict Cumberbatch. He did, uh, he did a reboot of not a reboot. It was just a, a modern day adaptation of Sherlock Holmes. Yep. And famously he commits suicide. He jumps off a building and he lands and he dies. And they said, Oh, that's the cliff, the cliffhanger. Although it's more less of a cliffhanger and more of a cliff drop. And everybody was so excited to see how, how the, the trick was pulled off. He's alive the next season. You tune in the next season and they just pretended like it never happened. Yeah. And yeah, they, that was the last episode of that I ever watched. I mean, you, you know, you, you spent the whole off season telling me you're not going to believe how we resolve this. Okay. You know, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice. Then, you know, shame on you, but I'm not going to let you fool me twice. Cause I've seen that trick too many times. Yeah, that was that was a particularly egregious example because the, the writers weren't up to the job and, and that was as soon as that, facade was torn away you realize that the whole show just rested on the shoulders of the two actors carrying it um, correct Bene you know benedict cumberbatch and martin freeman you go oh actually i've been watching a really bad show with really good charismatic actors <laughs> that is an excellent point i'll just i'll just go watch the hobbit i can get the same guys <laughs> from a, a a much you know, and, and for all its all of its sins, it is a much more satisfying experience. At the end of the Hobbit, you get enough closure to the trilogy or quadrilogy. If the, the, I can't remember, was well, what does that say? I can't remember if it was three or four films. <laughs> but it does have a badass CGI dragon, which puts it light years ahead of. Yeah. What? Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's not. I'm, again, I, I I think the 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 Hobbit movies were fine for what they were. You know, they're Peter Jackson films, long interminable stretches of action that overstay their welcome. But you know, there's some nice character moments, and it respects, for the most part, respects the source material. Uh, I I I still prefer the the original Rankin Bass Hobbit. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's it's fine. It's just, and again, it's it's stacked up against the Lord of the Rings, which is you know that's still largely the gold standard by which we measure epic fantasy films. You know, it couldn't can't help but f fall in comparison to that. It really has. Uh, when was the last time you saw those? Those is, have aged well, haven't they? They have aged really well. I showed my seven year old daughter the trilogy uh, just last summer. I think I've mentioned this last show, so. Pardon me, audience members. Uh, they're 20 years old now. They will be wow. 20 years old in uh, the end of this year. Are, are they? Can we anoint them with classic status now? I think when they came out, we thought, yeah, well, this what a great adaptation. This could be a classic. But I think now, 20 years later, I think they're classics. I think well, so. I think I can tell you why they're classics, though, because I just noticed this last night. If you go look at just about any fantasy work, um, 
And while at the same time I was doing uh, research into vampires, I was also doing side research into like uh, fantasy role playing, uh, medieval fantasy role playing characters, um, art for them. And particularly, I was uh, no looking at elves, um, or I was noticing elves in the stream of images I kept on looking at. If you look at dwarves and elves in art today, in video game art and other things, all of them are patterned after or inspired by, that is, they come from the... Uh, uh, their artistic font, they are descended from Peter Jackson's movies. He made dwarvish iconography and culture so clear and compelling, and elvish style, that kind of wavy, um, leafy, windy-looking uh, style, so beautiful and so distinctive that everything coming after that has been influenced by it either accidentally or deliberately. Um, and if you look at the orcs and the, uh, the style of Sauron and Mordor. That, well, that, hang on, but, but, but Mr. Warpig, I have to object because they hewed very closely to Tolkien's vision. And yes. they used a lot of Tolkien's own artwork for the look that they produced. And so I would actually walk that back a step and I would say all that they did was honor the vision of, so I would even, I wouldn't even credit Jackson so much as all I would credit Jackson with is the wisdom to build on rather than try to replace Tolkien's vision. That's what all artists do though. All artists build on what comes before. And if you have a looking at one picture, one photo of something that is, you know, let's say the tower of Baradur versus nine hours of film with uh, Legolas and his uh, swords, their shape, his clothes, and so forth. I'm not saying that he was entirely original. It's not my point at all. My point is, is that those movies cemented that cultural look in popular culture because Tolkien's work, uh, and, and I'm talking about the illustrator himself, not Tolkien, but the, sure. the guy who was the illustrator who came after that was most his work became most synonymous with Tolkien. That's who they were. Um, and I'm sure somebody in the chat is dumping out his name because I don't remember. Um, but that illustrator became synonymous with Tolkien and that's who they were. All of the big illustrated books or coffee table books used his illustrations. Beautiful, gorgeous work. I'm not trying to put him down or take him out of the loop. I'm just saying that everybody borrows for dwarves in other fantasy worlds now, they all look like they come from the Peter Jackson movies. Um, if you look at like Dragon's Age as an uh, early example, that was just uh, just a few years, like what, seven, eight years after the movies? Sure. Uh, 
and it's become bigger and bigger and bigger. That's just the default of what people assume. I and, and fair enough because as as much a fan as I am of the Rankin Bass versions of the film, uh, they did not have nearly the twenty year impact. You know, in, in 1996, you didn't see the same style of characters. Those were products of the 70s, and they looked like 1970s characters. So here we are 20 years later, and all of the fantasy that's being produced, um, even with the glut, 90% of it looks like Jackson's Lord of the Rings. It's a fair point. So that's why I think the... Two points. That's why I think that they are absolutely classics is because the impact they've had cements them as classics because something that isn't a classic doesn't have, uh, it generally doesn't have an impact. Um, I'm not saying that things that don't sure. have impacts can't be classics. I'm just saying that's one of the things you know. If it's not a classic, generally it doesn't have a big impact. Um, but also I think it's a good reason why we're going to, it's time to disrupt that is because, okay, we've done, we've done a great lot of work with that. You know, those cultures, they were beautiful. They were iconic. I mean, just iconic what they did with them. And they got that from earlier people, but they became iconic. So I think it's time that we're going to see people doing different things uh, or trying to break out of that um, because uh, it's beautiful and gorgeous, but you know, 20 years is kind of a longer period of time. Let's let's go in a different direction just to see what else we can do. We'll see. They, they tried that with the, the, the biggest, it, it seems that every time, well, you know what, actually I'm going to, on the one hand, I'm thinking about the John Carter film, which was very unlike what had come before. It was a sword and sandals, but on the other hand, there are also fantasy movies that that blur the distinction between fantasy and science fiction. The Thor movies are fantasy movies, but you know what you call magic, we call science. Right. Um, and and I wonder if there's a bit of a chicken and egg process where if it doesn't look like Tolkien, we just don't call it fantasy anymore. Right. Does that make Does that make sense? Where the the Jackson's version of fantasy has become so synonymous that anytime somebody does break the mold, it doesn't even get credited as a fantasy because it is too different from from Peter Jackson's vision. Uh, same things happened in art and gaming. Uh, everything's everything since eighty something is derivative of Dungeons and Dragons, and and it's got the same sort of vibe. Yeah, I, I would. You know what? I would even say that, um, for, for what it's worth, something like Harry Potter broke the mold as well. Mm. If you think about what an elf looks like in Harry Potter. It's nothing like an elf in in Middle Earth. That that is something that J.K. Rowling did do. Is she drew on other sources of inspiration than Lord of the Rings? Right. And it gets a little bit complicated because Lord of the Rings, one of the things that Peter Jackson did is he tried to ground his, his armor and, and weaponry as much as possible in real world antecedents. And so you, you run into the issue of, well, this is pretty much what the late dark ages looked like. So any film that takes place in a fantasy, starting with the late dark ages is going to look like the late dark ages. 
and and likewise with you know going back to to um, the the Game of Thrones films, you know those were more of a an an early early Middle Ages tech level, and they look kind of like the early Middle Ages. So it's not even necessarily a case of you know how do you how do you do things different as much as it is we have so much uh, there is so much shorthand that takes place by relying on those historical precedences that saves you a lot of time so you can get to the drama faster that may be an, an aspect of what's going on as well that he was the first to take the more you know grim and gritty is is a phrase that's played out but to hew more closely to the historic precedent and that's what more people are doing these days that may be a factor as well but we did have something of yours that's up and running or will be up and running or up and running right now um which one of mine is so i have two projects that have recently come to fruition and the first is neon harvest which is a a, a novel of a cyberpunk Utopia, whether it's a dystopia or utopia, depends on where you sit on the social ladder. Um, and it's it's an aesthetic that seems to be gaining steam, or possibly it's been around longer than I realize, and I only recently discovered it. I'd been listening to a lot of synth wave music, a lot of dark wave and outrun, and and apparently all of these chill wave, all of these are different genres. They all sound the same to me, but apparently they're different, and it's very important that you know they're different. But it's a it's a late night. It's more of a call it a mid nineties aesthetic, late eighties, early nineties, somewhere in there. And I I went with that aesthetic for what basically amounts to nothing more than just you know a noir novel about a private investigator who's hired to discover you know to rescue the kidnapped daughter of a wealthy businessman, and he manages to do so only to discover that the people who hired him don't want what's best for the businessman's daughter. And he finds himself caught up in a huge web of intrigue and a corporate battle that threatens to shake the foundations of the earth. So that's a little different. And this is all part of a, a burgeoning, I don't know if it's a new genre or just a blending of old, they call it tech noir or retro future where you, turn the clock back to about 1985 and say, okay, we're going to go back to 2020, but we're going to, we're going to keep the best parts of 1985 and get rid of the rest. And that's what happens in neon harvest. Uh, the technology level is essentially what you, it, it looks, this book is the future that we thought we were going to get in 1991. And for better or worse, we didn't. So in a, w a lot of ways, it's better. But in a lot of ways, it's really not so different. Because at the end of the day, you can change the technology, but you can't change the people. And that's a big part of what this novel is about as well. Uh, that sounds great to me. Uh, in fact, I want to see the film of that. I, I want to see a, a modern film noir classic made out of that. I will warn you, if you read this novel, I'm only telling you half the story. I can't tell you the other half without ruining the surprises. Okay. And that's a problem I have with most of my novels, that what they're really about, I can't tell you without ruining the surprise. 
Well, I I can tell you that you've nailed the aesthetic of the the N wave music and, and style that you've been listening to with, with this cover. I'm showing the cover for anybody watching this live on YouTube. This is, uh, this is cool as hell. I mean, it, same thing. And the, uh, I, I can give you, I can give you one example. He goes to, he goes to a bank and it's an all night ATM. It's an automated teller machine. And you think, Oh yeah, ATM. I know what that is. Except that this is a world in which the digital has not come to dominate. It's still largely an analog world. So the automated teller machine, is a robot essentially it's it's a it's a karen mannequin who goes through the motions and actually <laughs> when you get your deposit she doesn't you know when you when you transfer your money she she hands you physical bills right but that's what an atm looks like in this universe it's it's not a box that spits out money it's it is literally an automaton that mimics the uh What's the word? The procedure or the bank the actual teller. action? The actual yeah. actions of, of going up to a bank teller and asking for your money. Exactly. It, it's a teller. It's just that it's automated and a machine. That's cool. It does. So that that's the kind of aesthetic that I went through this entire time when I when I prepared this whole novel. Uh, that's cool as hell. Although I'm I'm picturing if if you you modeled the bank tellers accurately you would have the machines break down right as you were about to get to the <laughs> <laughs> about to get to the window i'm, so, I'm sorry we're on break now <laughs> um, exactly oh so that's cool i didn't uh i want to put the link to that in in the show notes so uh which which we didn't get to ahead of time um, it looks like that's available on Amazon. Is that just ebook or do you have dead tree versions? I have dead tree version live as well now. Oh, cool. Love it. What about audiobooks? Do you do your own audiobooks or not? I, so I have not done audiobook versions of any of my novels. I've been too busy working for other people to do my own. Well, that's fair. Other people usually pay you better than you do. Exactly. <laughs> um, I love that. I love that style, that aesthetic. You've got the the pixel art uh, as your as your cover and everything like that. Um, pretty good working music, if if you ask me. When I'm sitting at the at the computer, and and the, I think one of the reasons it is so popular, and I'm I'm so happy that you decided on that aesthetic for your setting, is that the sounds really do evoke that sort of those parts of the past and that was a challenge i mean the, the temptation is just to rely heavily on references to aerobics classes and uh you know the, the what do you call the the leg warmers yeah um, okay. but and you know when you have a dance club you know how do you describe uh, what an 80s dance club would look like after 30 years of refining the 80s aesthetic yeah, instead without it coming out as just con was it the uh, the book the with all the video game references. Uh, so, Ready Player One. Ready Player One. I was about yeah. to say Control Alt Revolt. I'm like, no, that's Nick Cole's version. I don't. <laughs> right. Yeah, Ready Player One. Yeah, you didn't you didn't want to just do that. Exactly. Oh, I gotta get this. 
I got to get the this link out here. This is really cool because I, I want people and you, to Well, you also out. run into the situation that if we don't have the last 30 years of movies, any reference I make to a movie made in the last 30 years would draw you out of this world. Mm-hmm. You go, oh, okay, so this is this is our world after all. Well, no, it's not. It's 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 a completely different one. Um, and you know, you've got the whole mystery of the conspiracy of what the heck is really going on here. And that's boy, I tell you, over the last three years, what we've learned about the real world has crept into my my writing in general because I I run the same kind of scam in the Overlook series of superhero novels. I've I've written those as part of a shared universe. And this, you know, come to think of it, this goes back to what daddy was talking about earlier. How do you keep track of so much information in this age of autism? And in this case, you've got five authors working in the Heroes Unleashed universe. And the answer to that question is you outsource the work. I regularly exchange emails with the other authors of the Heroes Unleashed universe saying, hey, um, now, I, in order to s- simplify things a little bit, I, I said, look, I'm going to set my works 10 years in the past so that my stuff is all technically prequel work. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to present this to you. And I chose the, the Shadow War version. So if, if you're looking for a Marvel analog, I said, okay, I'm going to do Captain America versus Hydra. And I'm going to build a Hydra. And everybody else can use this organization as they choose. It can be as powerful in your story as you want. And so I get questions regularly. Hey, I want to use your your super spy. Overlook is the titular character. His name is Joe Smith, which is a, a really you know bland name, just like him. And he's not invisible so much as he is super hard to notice. Just, um, you know, fate has a way of making it so you forget him as soon as he comes around, or you just don't notice he's there. Hey, there's you know there's a car crash over there, and oh, my head turns just as he's walking into the bank vault. And then I drop a, I, dr- I drop my pen and I have to bend down and pick it up just as he's walking out of the bank vault with a fortune in cash, that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, you have an, what amounts to an invisible man who gets recruited to help stop a conspiracy. Well, that's great. Nobody can see you, but if you really could be invisible, how would you know where to go to discover what's really going on? That's a challenge. And that's the challenge that I overcome and overlook. And the, the other challenge for, for information tracking is, how do I tie this into the other people's stories? And the answer is, I don't. I just send them an email and say, hey, one of the guys is doing a storyline that that deals with Atlantis and the Atlantean sorcerers in the modern day. And so I say, I need a shelf full of knickknacks. What do you got for me? And so he sends me a paragraph. Here, this stuff ties in great. Or I'll send an email to, in fact, what's great is former Geek Gab guest, Kai Wai Chia, is writing a second trilogy and his deals with an East Coast city that is run by a criminal syndicate that has, um, I can't, I, it's gone legit. And so I said, well, what about 10 years ago? How did they become, how did they get control of this city? And so when you read the sequel, which I'm putting the, I'm doing the edits on now, you actually discover that my guy is in large part responsible for them coming to power. Um, but you'll have to read the book to find out how. That's so those are my two big projects. Look for Overlook, look for Neon Harvest. And that answers Daddy Warpig's question. How do you track all that stuff? I just ask smarter people to do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, and, go ahead. As always, I would like to put a plug in for Adventure Constant. Uh, 
my favorite John Mollison novels that I will always plug. Go check it out too while you're there. It's only three bucks on Amazon on Kindle, so uh, it's yeah. Great. I owe readers a conclusion to that trilogy as well. I'm hoping to get that out by the end of the year. Uh, I just love it. I just love that little book. I I'm gonna go back to to Overlook for a second because. Before the show, you mentioned Silver Empire Publishing. That's uh, that's Russell Newquist's outfit, right? Correct. Uh, and and this is where you can get Overlook. Looks like they've got a nice big hardcover for that. They do. In fact, just last night, uh, so they ran a Kickstarter for that. Successful. It's a series of five trilogies. Uh, they were gracious enough to ask me to con contribute one of the trilogies. Uh, for the backers that opted for the signed copies, I've got those signed, and I'm looking to send those back to Russell uh, here in the next couple of days, uh, at least for the soft cover. Um, un unfortunately, I'm on the road, so the hard cover will take a little bit longer, but we'll get it to you. Um, and Russell actually has a, if, if you're not a huge fan of Jeff Bezos and his empire, then Silver Empire has a, a an alternative for you. Um, it is a direct competitor to Kindle Unlimited. They've got a fairly substantial library. I knew they'd been trundling along, but they've got over 50 books available and they're starting a subscription service. Works very similar to Audible where you pay a monthly fee or not fee. You, you pay for it monthly and every month you get a new token and you can use that token. You can redeem it for another book. So if you are an avid reader and you're looking for good stuff to read, not only can you rely on the steady production, but you also have some curation involved in that whereas Amazon is becoming increasingly difficult to find anything worth reading. Uh, I've read not just my own. I, there's, I haven't, I have yet to read a book out of silver empire that I didn't thoroughly enjoy. Um, Declan Finn is now publishing through them. The inestimable John C. Wright is now publishing with them. Uh, so give that a look. Cool. Uh, it sounds like a good service just for those authors alone. And it's I, I got the link you've sent me in the show notes as well. So anybody listening afterwards can check it out. And anybody watching live actually I've got the I've got the page up. You can see some you can see some of the authors here. Well maybe you can't read it because the font is so small, but whatever. Yeah, but look at that cover art. That's great cover art right yeah, there, boy. These are some serious covers here. I mean, I I won't I won't lie. The spaceship in the stars is a little yawn inducing, but the rest of these look really cool. Hey, but it tells you what's it's it's exact. You get what's on the cover of the tin, man. It tells hey, you exactly what to expect. Some people, and and I'm not this type of reader, but there's a genre out there. Some people just see a stars and a spaceship on it, and they say, "Yep, yoink." That, that's yeah. what I'm reading this, this evening. Perfect. Uh, I love that. Uh, I, I actually overlooks. Uh, cover does actually stand out. It's got a great comic book style cover. I like that. Um, and of course, uh, John Delarose, uh, glorified big capital Christian fiction. But anyway, I, I don't know. I've been meaning to ask him who's, who does this cover. I think I did ask him once, but his the covers on his series they're uh, they're pretty crazy. He he definitely has a great look to them. Yeah, this is cool stuff. I don't read. I just look at the covers and paw at them. 
Fantastic. And, and while I've got you, I gotta, I gotta warn you, I got something amazing coming down the pike oh. and it's not me. I'm, I'm put, I'm working on an anthology of post-apocalyptic stories in the gamma world vein with a couple of authors, one of whom you've probably heard of fellow by the name of Skylar Hernstrom. Oh boy. And the other is, is a guy that you haven't, but I can, I can pretty much guarantee he's going to be one of your new favorite authors. Once you get a chance to read what this guy's doing, he writes with this, this dreamy, impactful style that is just a joy to read. It's like rich chocolate. And I'm, I'm so excited. I think it's due out sometime this summer. Uh, his name is Neil Durando, and he's got kind of this cowboy way about him that just, just fantastic. I can't wait. And uh, hopefully, uh, if it does well, this will be the first in a series of collections by by these two guys and a couple of other authors that are that are up there in there. Uh, you know, once again, it, it it's guys like Skylar Hernstrom, and I'm sitting at the table. You, you've heard the old saw: if you sit down at a poker table and you can't tell who the mark is, you should get up and walk away because it's you. <laughs> And, and that's how I feel. I sit down and I'm like, man, who's the jerk in this collection? This is fantastic. <laughs> Keeping good company. So keep an eye out. I mean, most of your regulars follow me on the social medias. I'm on Twitter at not John Mollison for plausible deniability. I'm, I'm a regular in the chat and, uh, you know, bouncing around. So you know, keep your eyes peeled. Um, cause I won't shut up about it once it finally drops. Well, you have my attention. I am, I am not, a spaceship in stars type. I am definitely a dreamy fantasy crazy type. Uh, and, oh, and type. for, uh, for those who have read a moon full of stars, which is my entry into the gonzo post-apocalyptic fiction world. The, one of the stories that I have in the collection takes place in that same world. It, it's not a sequel, but it does take place in the, in the same and you'll recognize it when you read it. Oh, that's what's going on over in the other part of the country. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Um, I'm out of questions, and we are more or less out of time. But is there anything else you want to talk about, either one of you, before we get going? Those are the big ones for me. Thanks for having me on. It's It's been a ball. I, I love hearing your, your hot takes every Saturday. <laughs> It it really, it does keep me company when I'm doing my yard work. So it's fantastic. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. That, that means a lot. Uh, as, as for me, uh, I, thanks for coming on. It's uh, always been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, and I want to express my appreciation for your kind words, as well as everybody listening live, hanging out in the chat, everybody who's going to listen later. I, I appreciate keeping you company while you're doing yard work or driving or whatever you're doing. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, Daddy Warpig, any last words? Um, well, I just, yeah. Big thanks to everybody who showed up, uh, participated in the chat. Uh, if you come and watch uh, the show on youtube.com slash geekgab later, uh, the chat is saved here. So you can come and, and uh, bask in the wisdom of those who uh, are in our audience who uh, always have great comments about uh, everything going on. Um, so, and they're erudite and intelligent and interesting people. And I'm not saying that 
just to say that seriously, everything we talk about on the show, they have other comments on. We had a great chat today. So by all means, if you can come and participate live, add your knowledge and your intelligence to the discussion. Or if you uh, can't come live, come to youtube.com and uh, read the chat later, get some more information, more comments about what's going on on the show. Uh, or if you want to listen to the show later on the device of your choice, GeekCab is available on YouTube.com. GeekCab is available on the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, and SoundCloud.com. Just do a search for, and, and hold your horses, because this is going to shock you how complicated it is, just do a search for GeekGab. We, your hosts, are signing out for today. But don't you worry, don't you fret, we will be back.